And I shoot my shot and stuck on wild where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you weren't with me shooting in the gym. Wrong nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you can live through anything if magic made it. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy Marcellus Ease. Don't panic quite yet. Now things are opening back up in the city. Sundresses is out. You already know what that means. It's summertime. As my fellow Nick fans, we're looking ahead into the offseason and certain dynamics are beginning to play out. But before I get to all that, I want to say congratulations to Julius Randle for making the second All-NBA team. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's in the same realm as guys like Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, Chris Paul, and LeBron James. It's always a good look to have a New York Nick sitting among those elite names when it comes to league performance. So once again, congratulations to Julius Randle. Yes, sir. This is where it begins. We on the up and up. Now I know a lot of you are still watching the NBA playoffs and I know you just seen the lottery that just went by. And for the first time in a long time, I know I was happy that the Knicks were not part of that. And just observing this year's lottery, and remembering the league rule changes that were made in 2019 during the Zion draft in regards to the lottery odds. I mean, just looking at this shit right now, at this point, it's pretty much damn well shooting craps, man. And I know my fellow Knicks fans, we've never had luck in this whole draft process. But at this point, to justify tanking a whole season just to participate in this twilight zone of ping pong balls doesn't make any sense. And the proof is in the pudding to what happened to OKC in this year's lottery. And also with the Ben Simmons situation in Philadelphia. But first, let me start off with OKC and Sam Presti's failed lottery night. Because that shit went horribly wrong for them. For starters, it was a 50-50 chance that they could have earned a top 5 pick by having Houston fall out of the top 4. But instead, Houston fell into the top 4 so Houston got to keep their pick at number 2. And then they had another chance, almost at the same odds, of at least, at the bare minimum, finishing at pick number five. But yet they still fell down to pick number six in a draft where it's slated to have mega stars in the top five picks. Once again, this is like shooting craps because they tanked their whole season just to be in this position and it didn't work. And then speaking of tanking, Going back to the Philadelphia 76ers and this whole trust the process system. It's almost like for them, letting go of Ben Simmons is letting go of that error. And they seem to be stuck in a loophole of just trying to prove that that process of acquiring all those top picks is going to result in some sort of benefit that the fans have yet to see, even though the proof has been in the pudding for a number of years that the Ben Simmons and B combination isn't really going to work. And we've seen it play out in this year's playoffs. But yet the 76ers the next day is 
putting out a whole PR campaign saying that Ben Simmons is working on a shot with this person and that person. It seems like they're gun hole stuck on trying to prove that this whole trust the process system actually worked. And it really doesn't. Once again, the lottery system now is like shooting craps. And you can't really justify telling your fan base you're going to put on a losing product for a number of years just to have the possibility of benefiting later. It leaves you in some sort of weird ass Twilight Zone loophole that you never seem to get out of. Even if you're successful in this lottery, it still kind of leaves you in a loophole, especially if your team doesn't have any direction. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are a perfect example of this. They keep landing top picks, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Edwards, even the Kevin Garnett days, and they still can't do nothing with it. And you guys could definitely comment and let me know what was the last successful team that drafted someone in the lottery and went on to win a championship. You can't really say the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron left that team and ended up coming back in the 12th year of his career. So it's hard to say that they drafted someone and then went to a championship. And speaking of the Cleveland Cavaliers, in the last two seasons, in the 2019 season and the 2020 season, they finished with the second worst record two years in a row, but only ended up with the fifth pick. Once again, for the most part, this lottery process has proven to be almost a crapshoot. And to my fellow Knicks fans, the Knicks are beginning to enter a sweet spot in which their key guys are going to need more polished people around them. Julius Randle's entering his prime years. He's not going to need a bunch of 18, 19 year olds surrounding him. And the same thing would apply to RJ Barrett. Even though he's young, the Knicks want to get him competing at a high level, especially when it comes to winning. So they want to surround him with, you know, a bit more polished guys, not a bunch of guys that are younger than him and are trying to figure out their way into the league. So getting a young guy like RJ Barrett used to the atmosphere at this point in his career entering year three is going to be very important. So when it comes to the lottery, it's great we're out of that twilight zone because some of the biggest stars in today's league were not even drafted top 10. A lot of them were not even drafted top 15. You could look at Nikolai Jokic, the current MVP, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Devin Booker was the number 13 pick, CJ McCollum. There's a bunch of guys that have major impact in the league today and even right now in the playoffs and they weren't even top picks. So once again, selling your fan base, losing seasons in order to participate in a bunch of ping pong balls, especially after the Zion draft where they changed the rules and fucked us over from having the first overall pick. It wouldn't make sense for us to keep putting so much stock and equity into the lottery system, especially when it comes down to luck and positioning. And also at the end of the day, your organization from top down are going to have to have some sort of direction because having a bunch of first overall picks and no direction leads to nothing. And you can look no further than the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, baby, the Frank Nilekina Hive is going to come for me for this one. You guys must be coupled up with the Nicki Minaj and the Beyonce Hive because the way you guys defend your favorite stars, it is not matched. But we still going to talk about it, though. Now, Frank Nilekina is at the end of his rookie scale contract. And me personally, I believe the Knicks are not going to re-up on his deal due to the fact that we have two first round incoming draft picks that are going to be new to the roster. And of course, the Knicks have a new team president that did not draft Frank Nilekina. Thus, he's not really interested in his development as much as a person like Phil Jackson would be who drafted Frank. But there is a dilemma that's facing players that fit Frank Nilekina's player archetype 
in today's modern NBA. And we've seen it play out, especially in this year's playoffs with Mr. Ben Simmons. And that is, could a one-way defensive player fit in in today's modern NBA, which is mostly a skilled game? And what I mean by that is that the league today, players are so skilled, especially offensively, that you even have centers who can put the ball on the floor and make a quick move to the bucket. They can shoot a three and they can make good passes. And we're not even talking about the guards. The guards in today's league are 10 times more skilled. So we've seen in this year's playoffs where a defensive player like Ben Simmons was giving Trey Young issues. But in today's league, when you give someone like Trey Young issues on the offensive end, it still results in him pretty much getting anywhere from 20 to 25 points a game. So when you have a defensive player like Ben Simmons, on the other hand, as we've seen in the playoffs, especially in game seven, where he only scored four points, there becomes a gap and that player eventually becomes a liability. So tying this back to Frank Nilakina, who defensively is not as skilled as Ben Simmons due to Ben Simmons being born with his athleticism, but Frank does hold down a better shot. But having players like that on the floor sometimes in today's league, and they can't put the ball in the hole themselves, they can't beat guys off the dribble, they're not as skilled in passing, it eventually becomes a liability. And you could even look at the people that will be guarding these defensive players. Anyone guarding Ben Simmons or Frank Nilekina on the defensive end will get into no foul trouble and they will actually get pretty good rest because the person poses no threat to score. So that's pretty much one strike that's going against them. And second, when you look at the overall landscape of just guards around the NBA, guys are killing it. They are way too skilled. You got Stephen Curry, Westbrook off the dribbles crazy, Damian Lillard, the list goes on and on. And Frank Nilekina and Ben Simmons play at that same position. Them just being at the guard position hurts them alone. Why I keep correlating Frank Nilekina to Ben Simmons? I believe defensively, if Frank hits another peak, he could be at almost at Ben Simmons level. That's if he hits that type of peak. And if you look at Ben Simmons at his peak right now, he's not really as effective as people thought he would be, especially in the playoffs. So that's why I'm correlating all this together so you guys can understand that even if Frank hits a certain defensive stride due to the fact that the league is how it is today, as far as guys being very skilled offensively, it's eventually gonna pose a liability. All of this pretty much played out in the playoff series between the Atlanta Hawks and the 76ers and particularly game six and seven. So overall, scoring skills are needed in today's game, especially at the guard position. Guys don't have to average 20 points a game, but they're gonna have to be at least scoring threats, sort of like a PJ Tucker, if you're that skilled defensively, if you wanna fit into that defensive player archetype role. But at the end of the day, there will be a market for Frank Nilekina. I believe it will be with a team that has a more systematic team oriented style of play maybe like the san antonio spurs but if no one bites i wouldn't be surprised if the knicks bring them back on a minimum contract but once again the frank hive don't kill me for this one i know you guys be netflix and chilling with the Nicki minaj hive please don't combine and come for me on this one now the knicks this offseason are going to have a few different routes to take as far as rebuilding this roster particularly at the guard position as we need a dynamic playmaker for sure because in the playoffs, that's pretty much where we ran into a brick wall. Now this year's free agency, which starts August 3rd at 5 p.m., will have very few slim pickings as far as guards are gonna be game changers. 
We see Kyle Lowry, Spencer Dinwiddie coming off that injury is going to be available. DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball. These guys for sure will be a definite upgrade versus what we got right now, but they're not really game changers, especially if the Knicks start looking towards the trade market. We're already hearing rumors even before the final start that the Knicks possibly could go after Damian Lillard as it looks like his time is running out in Portland. And another trade that kind of threw a monkey wrench on the price of acquiring players was that Drew Holiday trade that we've seen the Bucks make. They gave up three first round picks just for Drew Holiday, which he's not even an A-level NBA star. Matter of fact, he's only made the All-Star team once and that was back in 2013. He may not be an NBA level All-Star type player, but he definitely has impact on the game. But at the end of the day, he's affected the NBA trade marketplace because of what was paid in order to acquire his services. And we could even go back two seasons ago when the Clippers gave up five first round picks for Paul George. So the price right now of getting certain plays in the league is pretty high. And we're gonna see if Leon Rose is gonna go towards the path of building a team in a steady pace to be competitive for at least the next four to five years, or is he gonna gut this team in order to acquire a guy possibly like Damian Lillard or just kind of go the mellow route. And when I say the mellow route, I'm not sure if you guys remember when the Knicks traded for Carmelo Anthony, how we got rid of a bunch of guys that would have been key pieces to put around Melo when he would come to New York eventually as a free agent. But if Leon Rose goes the slow and steady route, it won't look as sexy, but it will put us in a key position to strike when the iron gets hot, AKA meaning that when a guy becomes available, possibly in the trade market or through free agency, where we could just strike while the iron's hot and that'll be our chance to elevate the team to go up to the next level. The NBA media loves to push this narrative that you can't rebuild or take a slow, steady route in the New York market, which I always believed was bullshit. But at the end of the day, due to the free agency landscape right now, where Spencer Dinwiddie possibly looks like the only good long-term option at guard, or possibly maybe even someone like Alonzo Ball, as far as youth and potential, Leon Rose could take the Jerry West Clipper approach as far as building this team with good enough assets like the Clippers did, getting Shea Alexander and having other guys like Montrezl Harold and building up some of the Clippers assets so they can strike while the iron's hot, aka Kawhi's free agency, having enough assets to make a trade with Shea Alexander and the five first round picks for Paul George. We could do the same approach. It doesn't necessarily have to look the same with us giving up all those damn picks, but we could give up guys that we picked up through free agency that we build them up, we built their game, and now we could sell them off for a possible star when the iron gets hot. But this offseason, not only the price to acquire certain stars is a little bit too high due to the last few years involving trades in the market and also the scarcity of free agents, but if we wait till the temperature changes, in the overall acquisition market, we could actually strike when the iron's hot and get a better deal. Once again, that shit won't look sexy, but damn, sometimes you gotta be patient and wait your turn. And my fellow Knicks fans, just keep in mind, we don't want another Carmelo Anthony type trade where we gutting a team apart and then we're trying to figure it out later. And we've seen how that worked out. Now, next season, the NBA are making certain rule changes. And as we've seen in our playoff matchup against the Hawks, Trey Young was doing all these little, I'm going to take a jump shot by leaning backwards, or I'm going to run into guys and draw fouls. So the league is kind of making adjustments where non-basketball moves will now become offensive fouls. So all that little bullshit that Trey Young likes to do 
all the little leg kickouts that James Harden likes to do, all those things will now become offensive fouls. And this is much needed because it's already bad enough that we're going through all these instant replays at the end of the fourth quarter, which already slows the game down. And especially teams that are building up momentum get slowed up. But then you add on top of that all these bullshit ticky-tack non-basketball moves that are now a foul. It slows down the game and it overall makes a bad television product. And it's good to see that Adam Silver is finally making the adjustments that are definitely much needed. Because man, this season, when these games hit under two minutes, that's almost like an extra 45 minutes added on to these games due to all these damn replays. And then once play resumes, it quickly ends up stopping again because someone got some foul. And then the foul has to be reviewed. I understand Adam Silver right now is in the testing stages of seeing what works and what doesn't work. But I can't wait till they tweet this to perfection because right now, it's just taking too damn long. And for those of you fellas that like to place bets, when Vegas comes out with the win totals with the Hawks and the Brooklyn Nets, if the play looks good, it might be a good bet to bet under, especially for Trey Young, because he's not gonna get away with doing all that bullshit next season. So he might end up getting less calls so that can end up scratching anywhere from six to eight points less a game that he gets for free at the line. So just something to think about. And I'm just going to throw this out there. You guys take notice on what kind of commercials are ran when the refs are looking at these replays. And I would not be surprised if State Farm has a separate deal to get their ads run during these fourth quarter instant replays. Because that's when the viewing audience is most engaged. The league is definitely grinding out here for that post-pandemic money. I tell you that, boy. Now, the Nets have another passing year without bringing the championship home to the city. And we've seen with the Nets this year, just because you buy up the league's top stars doesn't equate to buying up the city's energy. There are no shortcuts in duplicating that energy at the Garden, especially during that Hawks-Knicks series. You see, that type of energy and brand identity can't be bought or acquired that's what Kevin Durant did not understand when he was going off that rant saying that the Knicks weren't cool anymore. <sighs> Let me tell you this, boy. Kevin Durant does not understand that New Yorkers identify with the Knicks almost as an identity. It's the same way people in Pennsylvania identify with the Steelers as grinders, hardworking, blue-collared, or the same way people in Oakland used to identify with the Raiders as rebels, outlaws, we do whatever we want, we tough, we one of one. That energy was so infectious to have people rocking Raider hats just because they identified with the energy of just being a rebel. That can't be duplicated as one of one. And when it comes to the Knicks, it's the same thing. The Nets don't have that aura, it can't be bought. Their fan base is mostly comprised of people that are bandwagon fans. They were Cavs fans, they were Laker fans, they were Warrior fans. And you mix into that group, they were also the fan base in New York City that was sick of the Knicks. That's their fan base in total. Their energy is all over the place. And them being deep in the playoffs and possibly going for a championship didn't really mean as much because that energy is not centralized. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. Sort of like Kyrie's emotions. But anyway, it's sort of a match made in heaven in a way. But the Nets have got to be careful because they definitely do have an image issue. Because Kevin Durant is not well liked especially in the media. He does all these back and forths. It's not really a good look. Kyrie is all over the place sometimes, even though his game is beautiful to watch. But one of the reasons I believe they got James Harden was to sort of soften the blow of their image, to mix him with Steve Nash as a coach, to make him more likable. 
because they're not sure of how things are going to turn out perception wise with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And this season, we all seen the Nets could buy all the stars they want. The Knicks still doubled them up in ratings. And this is according to the Sports Business Journal. And by the way, the Nets had similar ratings to the Clippers. But, and it was not only just against the Nets, the Knicks were outshining them in ratings. In the national ratings overall, especially in the last two months of the season, ESPN was handpicking the Knicks games every Sunday as they were able to use a flex scheduling. They picked the Knicks Clippers, the Knicks Pelicans, and the Knicks Raptors. And the week that they chose the Knicks Clippers, that was their highest rated game, especially in that same week when they had Pelicans Warriors, Nuggets Lakers, and the Nuggets Jazz. So you're looking at the Knicks outranked Zion versus Stephen Curry, Jokic versus LeBron, and Jokic versus Donovan Mitchell. All these other stars are definitely much more promoted throughout the league, but yet the Knicks are still outshining them in ratings. And they don't have like a, a big name superstar that gets promoted on a certain level on the national stage. And best believe this pisses off a lot of people in the media world because they have a huge disdain for James Dolan and any success coming his way. Once again, I'm always letting you guys know the media has an ongoing beef with James Dolan due to the fact that he tried to muzzle the mouths of a lot of people in the media, especially in the daily news. And they have an issue with him flexing his power because at the time he owned not only the building, which is MSG, he owned the network and the cable service. So he was trying to muzzle the mouths of a lot of people and they had a huge, huge issue with that. And it's had a trickle down effect because the rest of the media sort of operating like a gang, they do not like the fact that he flexed his power over them. Sort of like, how dare you show that you're more powerful than the media? Who do you think you are? We're gonna make an example of you. And so the rest of the media on the national stage is going after James Dolan and trying to badmouth his team for any success coming their way. So when they see that the Knicks are still shining, even though the Nets have all these stars, it pisses them off. You could even look at when the 2020 to 21 season had first started, the media was attempting to drive the narrative that the Brooklyn Nets were the most relevant team in the city due to the fact they added James Harden with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Because in their eyes, the Nets having these top stars would generate the most ratings because they equate to having superstars to ratings, not realizing that the city is tied to the identity of the Knicks. And so as the season ended and the Knicks had some success, they were not even arguing that the Nets were more relevant anymore due to the fact that it was so obvious on the screen when you would watch these Knicks games of how energetic the Knicks fans were and the Knicks fans were even going viral on social media celebrating some of the Knicks successes. The energy was not being duplicated with the Nets. So they could no longer make their little arguments that the Knicks were not relevant, that the Nets had surpassed them. And they exactly understood what was happening because you saw it through their actions. They were handpicking Knicks games every Sunday because they saw what it was doing for their ratings. They went from showing one national Knicks game before the All-Star break to showing more than six national games after the All-Star break. So once again, my fellow Knicks fans, understand your energy, understand your value. We are one of one. And last but not least, my fellow Knicks fans, pay attention to how this scenario is going to play out between Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans, especially in the next two years, as that will become the end of his rookie-scale contract with the Pelicans. And as we've seen this week, his family members were just speaking out, talking about how the Pelicans 
are not treating Zion like a star and that the organization and franchise is not up to standard to have a megastar like Zion Williams. David Griffin, the guy who's in charge of basketball operations down there in New Orleans, he's pretty much already 0 for 2 on this Zion Williams experiment. He fired Stan Van Gundy this week, which was already a bad hire. Zion Williams' family also complained about the coach. And Zion wasn't the only player to complain about Stan Van Gundy not being a good fit. But that was a bad decision that he made right there. And also the medical staff. Zion Williams had major beef with them last season, particularly in the bubble. So David Griffin eventually had to get a whole new medical staff. But at the end of the day, from the coaching to the personnel, him getting Steven Adams, not being a good fit around Zion, and just some of the key pieces already on that team, Eric Bledsoe not being a good fit, David Griffin, and most importantly, I should say the Pelican organization, already pretty much on their last legs with Zion Williams. And remember, the Pelicans are owned by that family that owned the Saints, and they treat that franchise sort of like a cash flow. And the Benson family, being NFL owners, are used to the fans being loyal to the organization, not their stars. But in the NBA, it works the other way around. The superstars, particularly guys in Zion Williams' position, have actually more influence than the Pelicans logo itself. So they're not used to operating under those terms. They might not even understand of how to maintain a star like Zion. This sort of reminds me of the Orlando Magic and the Shaq situation. The Orlando Magic came into the NBA as a brand new expansion team and the Davos family got lucky early on and got a mega star in Shaq. And very unfortunate for them, they did not realize of how much a mega star that they had and how valuable he was because in his renegotiations for his contract, they lowballed him, which made no sense because other markets like the Los Angeles Lakers quickly gave him the money that he wanted off rip. And very unfortunate for them, they didn't even realize that there was never going to even be an opportunity to make a second chance offer. Once again, some of these small market NBA franchises have small market mentality. And I'm seeing this play out with Zion Williams, particularly the fact that his family says they're not up to the standards of having a megastar as Zion. So my fellow Knicks fans, just pay attention to how this is going to play out. Because Zion, once again, when he played in Master Square Garden this past season, he was very giggly. And this was done on purpose. He knew he was giving away his, his cards. He was cheesing way too hard in front of them cameras every time New York City got mentioned. And after that, he said, oh yeah, I like playing in New Orleans too. He sort of mentioned the Pelicans as an afterthought. And low key, that was him taking shots at the organization as we see how it's playing out now. So it is what it is. It's still a long shot for Zion to make any moves outside of that rookie scale contract. But once again, just pay attention to this situation and see how it plays out. Small market franchise, small market mentality. Now, all sports owners and ownership groups are blessed to have the same type of vision as George Steinbrenner and Jerry Buss. It is what it is. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.